Abolition. 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 How dare you come to St. Louis and say you got the back of that lousy bitch, state's attorney Kim Gardner. She is just like you. That's why birds of a feather, bitches. That's what you are. You hate cops. You hate white people. You do everything you can to give all the blacks who are criminals every benefit of the doubt. And everybody else is suspect. Black lives only matter when a white person takes it. You blacks can kill each other all you want. In fact, I think that's the grand solution. We need to start driving around the ghettos and just dropping boxes of bullets on every street corner. Let them take each other out. Things were much better in this world, in this country, when everybody stayed in their own goddamn neighborhood by dusk. There's only one thing worse than a fat-ass, empowered black woman. That's a fat-ass, empowered black woman who's got public reins in her hands. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. How many rounds of ammunition does it take to kill a solitary alien? Once to the body, pop twice to his cranium. It's been 20 years since humanity gave up. Letting these alien freaks take over and enslave us. Used to be scared of us, now they want to bury us. We are the resistance, move, secure the area. Used to be in the shadows, but now we're ready for war. Retaliation is the key, so we gotta settle the score. XCOM. We neutralize the enemy, the last line of defense against tyranny. The advent's a bunch of punks signing treaties. We got a turn-based strategy to battle these ETs. Hold it, cock it, hold the spot, and throw a bomb and go and pop it. No more plotting, we about to get into position. We know they watching, no more talking, we not falling, we not stopping. Guns are popping, bodies dropping, we are the resistance. Hold it, cock it, hold the spot, and throw a bomb and go and pop it. No more plotting, we about to get into position. We know they watching, no more talking, we not falling, we not stopping. Guns are popping, bodies Bodies dropping, we are the resistance. Meet up at the rendezvous, yeah, you better run fast. Get into position and get ready for a bloodbath. These genetic freaks think that they can use me. Pull out the blade, now we sectoid sushi. Hit them with a missile, yeah, we got them shaking now. Don't stop till hostiles are taken down. Serpentine soldiers, guns out the holsters. If they get a hold of you, knock them off your shoulders. Fire in the hole, baby, we bout to blow the roof up. Time is running out, maybe we ought to start a shootout. Keep blasting. No matter if you hit him or not Cause the sharpshooter will hit him with a critical shot If you run out of ammo, then tag him with a melee We got him running, probably got him hollering melee A human that fights back, oh yeah, it does exist The Advent Coalition can kiss my butt exist Hold it, cock it, hold it, spot and throw a bomb and go and pop it No more plotting, we about to get into position We know they watching, no more talking, we not falling, we not stopping Guns are popping, bodies dropping, we are the resistance Hold it, cock it, hold it, spot and throw a bomb and go and pop it no more plotting, we about to get into position We know they watching, no more talking We not falling, we not stopping Guns are popping, bodies dropping We are the resistance She's talking about waging war on police Let's talk about being accountable And making we sure we deal with the, 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 the issues we're talking about right now That led to the unfortunate death of Mr. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor um, Orlando Castile, Mike Brown, and many others Abolition, abolition, You just heard a racist rant sent to Baltimore State Attorney Marilyn Mosby, followed by XCOM 2 rap, We Are the Resistance. And that was finished off with a reply from the St. Louis Attorney General, Kim Garner. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today.
a weekly syndicated online radio program with specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard, 6 Central and 4 Pacific live streams and archive podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. <clears throat> Abolition Today is also available on all your favorite podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. You're listening to a recorded presentation this week. Today, we are in the midst of first strokes at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. When I say first strokes, I mean it's a party uh, where we're getting together to commemorate the first strokes of our mural here on the building for the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, which will be painted by Thomas Washington. Thomas Washington is awesome. Uh, he's also known as Thomas the Younger. So make sure you check him out on our Facebook page. And uh, we are probably in the middle of having our big old party today and enjoying the day. In the meantime, we don't want to leave you hanging. Uh, so we put together some something special for you, just to show you what we're all about. Uh, with that said, let's go ahead and get into some of these clips, tracks, music, and poetry that shows you some of the best moments of 2021 so far with Abolition Today. We'll be right back. Abolition, Abolition. Today. So John Ehrlichman Today. was one of the henchmen for Richard Nixon. I say henchmen because he was one of the organizers of Watergate, um, and that was proven out. He got convicted and sent to prison for his role in the crimes of Watergate. Now, one of the things he got sent to prison for was conspiracy. Because Watergate was a conspiracy. They planned to break into the Democratic headquarters, steal information about them, basically undermine our democracy. Right? Well, it turns out they hatched another conspiracy, which Ehrlichman bragged about back in 1994. He said it to a writer named Dan Baum. And for some reason, it has sat in the dustbin of history until this moment. In Harper's Magazine, in this April edition, uh, ran his original quotes from back in 94. Ehrlichman, now out of prison and out of politics, felt, I guess, that he had nothing to lose, so he was going to be honest about why they started the war on drugs. And if you remember, it was Nixon. The Nixon administration started what they called the war on drugs back in 1971. Turns out, it was not because they were concerned that drugs were really dangerous for Americans. It was for attacking their political enemies. Now, again, you might think, like, come on, this sounds conspiratorial. First of all, it's the guy who did the conspiracy who's admitting it. Second of all, he got arrested for and convicted on another conspiracy. It's not like he's shy about conspiracies. And Nixon, third of all, had an enemies list. These are all facts. So now here's Ehrlichman in his own words. He says, the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. How do you see that and then not want to immediately end this nonsense political war on drugs? This prohibition that has proven to be disastrous in its effect but it turns out it was done to be a war on black people and liberals, which who they called hippies back then. Now, originally they were trying to use more of the legislation of heroin against 
blacks, but it turns out later they were like, oh, blacks smoke marijuana just like whites do. Okay, let's arrest them for that. And they arrested him at four times the rate of whites, even though they smoke at the same rate. The whole point was to make sure that they could arrest their political enemy. And black How could you know that and still be in favor of the war on drugs? Well, uh, Ehrlichman goes on. He says, we could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. When asked about whether he and Dick Nixon intended to do that, he said, quote, did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Free my people, cheer. Free all my people. What? Free my people, cheer. Free all my people. Let them go. Tell the lawyers and the courts and the judge that the war on drugs is a war on us. It's power to the people, destruction to the system. Free all of the drug offenders that are stuck in prison. The drug war is nothing but a corporate war for profit. And every drug arrest is money in somebody's pocket. The rich get richer at the expense of the rest of us. Conflict of interest, cops profit by arresting us. When they imprison you for drugs, the only victims you they say it's for your well-being, but that simply isn't true. The drug was a business prison is an institute of wage slavery for the companies who get in loot by locking up non-violent individuals. Drug offenders of any kind are not criminals. They'd rather lock us up than see us educated, cause knowledge is power and slavery brings in the payment. So the schools shutting down, prisons being built up. The drug wars making sure the prisons stay filled up. Companies who profit from it lobby for the drug war. Change faces from plantations with slaves cotton picking. Now it's corporations profiting on people locked in prison. They target in the darker race for profit. They incarcerate people. There's no justice because the system is a marketplace. The term correctional facilities a joke. If the inmates were corrected, then the system would be broke. If the system went broke, then the system would collapse. Drug offenders aren't criminals, they're victims of attack. They are prisoners of war for the profit of corporations and the government who forces laws upon the population. So tell the lawyers in the courts and the judge that the war on drugs is a war on us. It has been a hoax since before Richard Nixon. The system is broke, yet they claim it don't need fixing. Is it an obvious big corporate lobbyist created the drug war? Cause that's what all the profit is. Now we suffering while these bloodsuckers in the government bringing all of the drugs, guns, and money in. And they punishing first time felons for using up for selling with a draconian sentence. Nonviolent offenders shouldn't have to do a day locked away in a prison cell for someone else's pay. This is what I say it's time we put an end to this war against the people, then it's all the prison next to this. Free my people, cheer. Free all my people. What? Drugs is something that negatively impacts everyone within society in one way or another, whether they're conscious of it or not. It's not just the users and the dealers and their families and people locked up that are affected by it negatively, it's everyone. Whether it's the taxpayers whose money is going into this black hole of a failed war on drugs, or it's people who are affected by everyday violence and crime that is a result of the war on drugs. You know, this is actual factual information. It's a conspiracy, not a conspiracy theory. It's a corporate conspiracy and it's backed by our government. 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 Let's go, y'all. Get big on it. Abolition. Abolition. That was a clip from the Young Turks about Nixon's war on drugs, followed by 
diesel automatic. The war on drugs is a war on us. Kind of showing you the root causes of a lot of the issues that we're dealing with and how the 13th Amendment has been exploited using uh, the news clips and speeches and music and poetry. Uh, but we're also involved in a lot of other things here at Abolition Today. We help to inspire and participate in a number of educational and uh, activism efforts. We've testified in states across the country on behalf of the Abolish Slavery National Network. And we've also provided incredible, insightful uh, educational media about the issue of the 13th Amendment and legalized slavery in particular. As a matter of fact, let's listen to this and you'll see what we mean. Abolition. 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 Because it doesn't do anything, one way or the other, I would urge my colleagues to blue light this resolution. I'll be voting no. I just think it's ultimately fake history that the 1870 Constitution allowed slavery. This does do something. Because there's a difference between the word working and slavery. I've worked. I have never been a slave. That's a clear distinction. I'm proposing to close a loophole that has an exception for slavery for those who are duly convicted of a crime. And that's a strong message we can send as a state. Now, I'm a non-lawyer, and most of my voters are non-lawyers, and I can't explain this amendment in words they can understand. I don't understand it, and the Constitution is too sacred to clutter up with a lot of stuff that non-lawyers can't explain to other non-lawyers, so I, I guess I'll be voting no. What we are proposing is slavery and involuntary servitude are forever prohibited, period. Those who were incarcerated can still have a job, like in the kitchen or the library. I would really ask that we, as a Senate, as a body, close this loophole. Eyes 26, four days is adopted. Hello, my name is Dennis Fribo, Rasawara Insights here in the state of New Jersey, working with incarcerated populations. I've been doing so for the past eight years. I'm one of the organizers for Amendment 13th in the state of New Jersey. Uh, we are a collaborative that is looking to add anti-slavery language to the New Jersey Constitution. New Jersey ratified the 13th Amendment, the last state in the Union to do so in 1866, and did not completely fully ratify the 13th Amendment by not inscribing it into the New Jersey Constitution. We are asking as the people of New Jersey, for those of us that fight for freedom and the, the fight of our ancestors, that New Jersey add the language and yet remove what's called the exception clause. Something designed in 1777 by the state of Vermont and it has spread throughout time to go from slavery to Jim Crow to segregation to mass incarceration. The 13th Amendment is the first law to inscribe institutionalized racism and classism by creating a sub-status of a human being in the United States of America where we lose access to human and civil rights. Section 4 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights states slavery is abolished in all of its forms. The state of New Jersey and the United States of America are out of compliance. My name is Yusuf Hassan and I'm, as a former member of or former resident of Patterson and Jersey City, I'm speaking in favor of ACR 145. The 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution abolished chattel slavery, except as punishment for a crime. 21 states have identical language within their state constitutions. As a result of these exception clauses, those who were convicted were forced into labor through convict leasing where the incarcerated were leased out by force to private corporations who would exploit their labor by paying them little or nothing while the companies taking millions and billions in revenue. 
My name is Max Parthas, the co-director for the Abolish Slavery National Network. I was born and raised in the first ward of Patterson. I'm here in support of ACR 145, the Slavery Abolition Bill. Slavery is a globally recognized crime against humanity, which should not be codified into law under any circumstances. If New Jersey is subject to a federal amendment, which allows a crime against humanity to be legally practiced, we must provide constitutional protections for its citizens from said law. My name is Laura Saha. I'm a member of the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center and the Abolish Slavery National Network. I stand before you as a native of North New Jersey, a person of diaspora, an African-American, a Shinnecock Indian, and a slavery abolitionist. I also stand before you adding my voice to the voices of my people, all of my people, long-suffering men, women, and children who have been denied dignity, equality, humanity, and most of all, the sweet breath of freedom promised to them by the 13th Amendment. Chris Gadsden. Yes, hello, good afternoon. Um, once again, uh, I just wanna say thank you uh, to Assemblywoman McKnight and um, the leadership you know, at the state, Chair Sumter, Vice Chair Timberlake, and just everyone for this revolution every day. Um, early in the day, we spoke about CCRBs, and now we're uh, focusing on um, amending the 13th Amendment. And so, you know, this morning, you know, I just feel like an abolitionist right now. I just feel in the same vein as John Brown, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass. And, um, you know, this fight right now is in New Jersey, right? The New Jersey didn't finish the deal, you know, and uh, the gradual, the, uh, you know, the weight, you know, trying to appease the South uh, has caused us to create a whole caste system, whereas prison industrial complex was created. And so um, it's very important for this to be on the November ballot. Uh, it's very important for, you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, um, it, it tells corporations, you know, you can't, you know, uh, exploit uh, prison labor you know, to make millions. It's uh, it's telling people like Walmart, Walmart, Wendy, Donald, Victoria's Secret, you know, um, it tells the rest of the world that, you know, you're gonna have to divest in the prison industrial complex because, you know, you can't, um, you know, uh, utilize slave labor like that. Um, so it's very important for us to stand with states all throughout this country who, who have done so already, Colorado, Rhode Island, Alaska, Utah, um, and to really um, to take this fight nationally. Um, so, you know, because it takes three-fourths of uh, states to ratify um, and to change the Constitution. So we're starting right here in New Jersey. It's a beautiful day. It's just a um, great look. This is an easy win. This is an easy victory because, you know, everyone in New Jersey can, uh, you know, be abolitionists. Abolition. 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 You just heard testimony from... New Jersey, as well as from Tennessee in regards to bills that are being put forth that will remove exception clauses from state constitutions. Testimony that included uh, both of your hosts here at Abolition Today, Brother Yusef Hassan and myself, Max Parkas. Uh, we, as I said, try to educate and uplift and, and inspire as much as possible. Uh, speaking of educational materials, 
let me share a couple things with you real quick so you can get deeper understanding of the system that we're dealing with, which is a system of slavery and human trafficking. We'll be right back. You're listening to Abolition, Abolition. Today. Abolition. Abolition. In terms of what I plan to focus on, I'm going to possess to talk about two of my articles um, that I guess kind of span a spectrum of my writing about race and the law. So the first one is called a 13th Amendment Framework for Combating Racial Profiling. And that one, I think, was published maybe in 2004, 2005. It was one of my first big articles. And that one um, looks at the issue of racial profiling through the lens of the 13th Amendment and through a lesser known aspect of the 13th Amendment that it prohibited not only literal slavery, but also what its framers called the badges and incidents of slavery. Those modern day conditions that are a legacy of uh, slavery or that uh, were an outgrowth of it. And so in that article, I argue that a wide scale system of uh, criminal suspicion based upon skin color is a badger incident of slavery because it mirrors, even if not driven by the same purpose, the kind of racialized control over autonomy and freedom of movement that black slaves as well as all free blacks were subject to during slavery. So I'll talk a little bit about that one piece. And I know that David and Jalila um, will have a lot to contribute there because of their own work about race and the criminal law. The other piece is much more recent. In fact, it's still a draft. Um, it's been accepted by the Texas Law Review, but hasn't been published yet. It'll come out next year. And it's about uh, freedom of speech and slavery. So the, the idea of that one, it, again, kind of drawing on the legal history of slavery, is that in my view, as well as in the view of many other scholars, we have two distinct constitutional regimes. There's the framing to civil war regime, right? The 1787 to 1865 constitution, which I'll call the original founding. And then there's what's referred to as the second founding, the post-Civil War constitutional amendments, as well as federal civil rights statutes, that the people at the time who adopted them thought of as representing a second American revolution, a second founding of the nation, in turning away from a society based on racial slavery to one who, at least in its fundamental charter, would be based upon freedom and equality for all persons, not merely a subset. In constitutional doctrine, as you'll recall, the cases, and indeed I would say probably most professors, spend very little time talking about the second founding as a new constitutional moment. We talk a lot about specific provisions from the post-Civil War Constitution, right? So you spend a ton of time on equal protection, due process, privileges and immunities, etc. But in general, when we talk about the pre-Civil War Constitution, we tend to act as if the second founding moment never happened. For purposes of this paper, I contend that courts tend to act as if what freedom of speech meant in 1791 when the Bill of Rights was ratified is exactly the same thing from an original meaning perspective as what it should mean today. And my point is actually not so much to kind of claim or disclaim originalism. It is simply if you're going to analyze the Constitution from an originalist perspective, there is another originalist moment where the original framers 
view was modified, elaborated upon, and in some cases rejected by the second framing. And so the article in one sense is kind of a theoretical plea that we take the post-Civil War Constitution seriously as a second founding moment. The second more specific part is if you accept that frame, which certainly not everyone would, what might it mean for how we interpret some specific constitutional provisions? And one of those is the First Amendment. So the, I think, kind of um, most novel contribution that the article makes is that it looks at freedom of speech, not just through the lens of the first founding's framers, nor exclusively through the lens of the second founding's framers, but that actually foregrounds the views of enslaved persons themselves and asks, what did freedom of speech mean for them in a condition of slavery? What denial of their free speech rights did they experience? What would they have hoped or expected the post-Civil War vision of freedom of speech to entail? And I argue that as part of the constitutional polity that would help uh, us understand the general public meaning of freedom of speech under the post-Civil War Constitution, that the voices of enslaved persons have been almost entirely ignored in constitutional interpretation. So I draw from a lot of first-person slave narratives where the slaves talk about um, their experiences with being denied freedom of speech and talk about what they think it should mean uh, under the reconstructed constitution. Um, so I'll be talking about those in the talk and you know, hopefully folks will find it interesting. Um, but I think what all of my 13th Amendment work, including this most recent piece, are trying to do is to show there is a different constitutional legal history that has largely remained untold. Right, that particularly the um, post-Civil War Constitution was one that was about equal dignity and equal worth and about freedom and liberty in many aspects. Some of them were liberty of body and movement, which is the racial profiling piece. Some of them are liberty of mind and conscience, right, which is the um, First Amendment piece. But the animating impulse is the same, um, that, you know, there's a, a long debate about whether our constitution was originally pro-slavery or anti-slavery. Um, and my point, I guess, the intervention I make in my work is that in seeking to answer that question, we have to look at our constitution as a whole. And too often our courts and lawyers act as if the post-Civil War constitution didn't really happen. Abolition. 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 You just heard Professor William Carter Jr., a John E. Murray faculty scholar, and professor of law at the University of Pittsburgh. Let's go ahead and follow that right up with how the Civil War and Reconstruction remade the Constitution by Eric Fulner and read by yours truly, Max Parthas. You're listening to Abolition Today here at abolitiontoday.org. This is a recorded program while we are in the middle of first strokes at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center where we are applying the first strokes to our wall mural here being painted by Thomas the Younger, a.k.a. Thomas Washington. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. The 13th Amendment clothed a radical departure in the nation's history in what a Boston newspaper called the well-settled language of a great historical document. But because of its very familiarity, the wording did not undergo necessary scrutiny. 
The prisoner exemption was almost never discussed in the press or at anti-slavery meetings and black conventions that urge ratification. Only a handful of critics sensed that it might cause problems. The language, the abolitionist journal, the Principia charged as early as February 1864 changed the Constitution for the worse by appearing to acknowledge that slavery was allowable for adequate causes. Charles Sumner insisted that while the Northwest Ordinance performed an excellent work in its day, its wording was entirely inapplicable to our time, since it implied that men can be enslaved as a punishment for crime. Sumner wrote later that he had hoped to propose eliminating the clause regarding convicted criminals, but failed to act because his colleagues were anxious to get their dinner. I regret now my forbearance, he added. The exemption did not go unnoticed among white Southerners. In November 1865, former Confederate General John T. Morgan pointed out in a speech in Georgia that the 13th Amendment did not prevent states from enacting laws that enabled judicial authorities to consign to bondage blacks convicted of a crime. The Southern governments, established under Andrew Johnson's Reconstruction Program, proceeded to enact a series of laws called the Black Codes to define and circumscribe the freedom that African Americans now enjoyed and make it clear, as Robert M. Patton, the new governor of Alabama, put it, that politically and socially, ours is a white man's government. The Black Code of Mississippi quickly followed by those of other states, gave blacks certain rights, such as having their marriages recognized in law, but also imposed all sorts of disabilities, including limiting their freedom of movement and barring them from following certain occupations, owning firearms, serving on juries, testifying in cases involving whites, or voting. Despite the 13th Amendment, involuntary black labor justified by the criminal exemption was central to these laws. They required all adult black men at the beginning of each year to sign a contract of labor to work for a white employer or face prosecution for vagrancy or other vaguely defined crimes. Those convicted would be fined and if unable to pay, forced to labor for a white employer. Florida's code authorized the sale for up to a year of a free person who violated a labor contract. Apprenticeship laws authorize judges to provide planters with the unpaid labor of black children on the pretext that their parents were unable to support them. To be sure, vagrancy laws go back to the pre-modern era and were widely used throughout the country before the Civil War to punish able-bodied persons who appear to be unwilling to work. But earlier vagrancy laws were not envisioned as the foundation for an entire labor system. Apprenticeship, too, had a venerable history, but the arrangements in the Black Codes bore little resemblance to traditional ones, whereby a youth learned a trade. Certainly, all this was not what former slaves and their northern allies considered free labor. 
quote, if carried into effect, a local black leader wrote to the president, it will be virtually returning us to slavery again. Where is the justice? Asked a black convention in Mississippi. Where is the freedom? Among other things, declared a New Haven newspaper, the Black Coast demonstrated the necessity of the second section of the 13th Amendment, authorizing further congressional action to protect the freedom blacks had so recently acquired. It was this sort of legislation the prominent North Carolina unionist Daniel R. Goodloe later recalled, which caused the North, the Northern people, to believe that there was no sincere purpose on the part of Southern people to acquiesce in the freedom of the former slaves. The laws also, however, revealed the dangers inherent in the prisoner exception. As reports circulated in the North of blacks convicted of theft or vagrancy being sold for a term of years at public outcry, disquiet rose in anti-slavery circles about the unfortunate phraseology of the amendment. A few members raised the issue in Congress. Cunning rebels, one congressman complained, were using the exception clause to reduce freed persons to slavery. God knows I wish we had that amendment before us at this time, said William Higby, a radical Republican from California. We deliberated months, and yet we did not cover the whole ground. There is no good reason under heaven why a man for crime should be sold into slavery. In 1867, a national anti-slavery standard called for the passage of a new amendment eliminating the words except as a punishment for crime. That same year, John A. Casson of Iowa introduced a resolution clarifying the meaning of the exemption clause. No one, he declared, supposed when the amendment was ratified that in the very sentence abolishing slavery, they had also made provision for its survival under another form and through the actions of the courts. The amendment's true intent and meaning, his resolution declared, was to prohibit all forms of slavery and involuntary servitude except in direction and direct execution of a criminal sentence under the immediate control of officers of the law and not sale or other disposition into slavery. Casson's resolution passed the House by an overwhelming majority, 122 to 25, but did not come to a vote in the Senate. Many senators felt the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which among other things mandated racial equality in access to the courts and in judicial punishments, rendered the resolution unnecessary. Time would prove them wrong. Abolition. Abolition. Again, you just heard how the Civil War and Reconstruction remade the Constitution by Eric Foner, read by yours truly. Uh, I'm getting kind of bored. I need some music. So let's go ahead and get into some fire uh, with some abolitionist music. And we'll be right back after that. Welcome to America, where you can dream as long as you can breathe. You can be the motherfucking president of the United 
United States to get murdered right on these streets. Welcome to America. The sins that a father, my pop, gave me to suffer. The friends I will follow was crack babies and hustlers. It's still sharp and still in the block. Made me a cutler. My pen is from the future like Octavia Butler. My grandmother sutured a flag from bloody cotton. The fruits of her labor, alas, already rotten. My man said, Joe, it's crazy how fast that we forgotten that we used to pull boxes and plows like we were oxen and cows without an option. And now it's this glorious, victorious story only pitch for me to shut it down. They sold some of us down the rivers. It's such a poor level of fraud. I get the shivers. It's insidious and it's always been hideous. I had to tread water and run, be amphibious. They do you so dirty for one. Yo, what's cleanliness? It make you wanna let off a gun into the emptiness life. Faded and hated, I'm hella melanated Blackness is my religion, to that I'm dedicated I follow the laws of nature by which I'm regulated The universe, my university, I'm educated This one is for my very revolutionaries Out here keeping it a hundred even though the truth is heavy Who stand firmly and see that life is a journey They either got or the gurney My public defender burned me, so did the district attorney In a turbulent trial, they told me that time is master What well, I'm serving it now Tell my family I'll be making my return in a while And every symbol of oppression I'll be burning Welcome to America, where you can dream as long as you can breathe. You can be the motherfucking president of the United States or get murdered right on these streets. Welcome to America, land of the brave and the home of the free. You can be a saint or a sinner or a billionaire, but just stand on your feet. Season. You just heard Welcome to America by Black Thought, C.S. Armstrong, and Angela Hunt. That was the fire I was looking for. All right, so let's go back into education and inspiration and listen to some testimony that came out of California during their press release about ACA 3, which is the bill to end involuntary servitude in the state of California. And they're working on getting that legislation 
through committee this month. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. Good morning. I want to extend a warm welcome to those here safely in person and to those viewing right now live via live stream. My name is Sydney Kamlager. I am the Assemblywoman for the 54th State Assembly District. And I and my colleagues and stakeholders and warriors are here today to announce ACA3, the California Abolition Act. On the heels of the abolition movement nationwide, the California Abolition Act seeks to abolish forced labor and involuntary servitude unconditionally in the state of California. Currently, this progressive state's constitution prohibits slavery and involuntary servitude except for the punishment of a crime, which means slavery and involuntary servitude are still on our books. I think this is outrageous, unconscionable, and wrong. And I think it is time for it to go. In the year of 2021, as we self-reflect what this nation stands for and who this state is, let us muster the courage to emancipate ourselves from these kinds of laws and these systems that bind us to a history of bondage, slave labor, and entrenched poverty. The psychological effects of modern day slavery and involuntary servitude are well documented. Just look at the poverty rates, the unemployment rates, the reincarceration rates, and you will see that this has to go. Today, 12 states prohibit enslavement and involuntary servitude. However, their constitution includes that nasty little provision with an exception of criminal punishment. Nine states permit involuntary servitude as a criminal punishment, California being one of them. And one state even permits involuntary servitude to pay a debt, a damage, fine, or a cost. Our state constitution has yet to reflect the values of equality, justice, and equity that Californians now are demanding. Dissolving the remnants of slavery and racial inequality is more important now than ever before. In 2018, Colorado passed a measure that removed slavery and involuntary servitude as a criminal punishment from its state constitution. In 2020, voters in Nebraska and Utah did the same. It's our time right now. And I am confident with a strong push on the ground, led by Jamelia Land and our ACA coalition, and with continuing efforts from my colleagues in the Assembly and the Senate, and I am calling you all out right now to support this bill, we can move ACA over the finish line. I am thankful to have standing alongside me members of our ACA3 support coalition, and together, we will move California forward into this century with equality, justice, and equity front and center. Jamelia. Good morning. Uh, first, I would like to congratulate our new Senator-elect, Kamlager, 
on behalf of Samuel Nathaniel Brown, ACA3 Coalition, and every citizen in the state of California, we would like to thank you, Senator-elect, for taking on this challenge. I want to start off by not only thanking the members, uh, but for the community and the press that are and those that are watching virtually. Thank you for tuning in and supporting this historic cause. My name is Jamelia Land. I am the co-founder of ASAP, Anti-Violence Safety and Accountability Project. My husband, Samuel Nathaniel Brown, is currently incarcerated at Lancaster State Prison. He is the original author of the proposal that our wonderful senator-elect agreed to author. Today marks an era of unprecedented times, where as a nation we are experiencing trauma that we could not have predicted. This trauma will run deep and may last for generations to come. As we build our nation, we are stepping forward to create a stronger and more equitable future. Today, we are here to speak to you about ACA3, a fundamental issue that should be framed into our new equitable foundation. To speak frankly and clearly, ACA3 is an amendment to our state constitution. We are asking to remove a sentence from the 13th Amendment. This bill will remove the caveat of involuntary servitude from punishment, excuse me, for punishment from our state constitution and rid our state of the residual effects of slavery. We as a state and nation have banded together to condemn similar crimes against humanity. We have stood up to stop crimes of child labor, human trafficking, and wage theft, where people are being forced into servitude without choice or fair compensation. The same moral compass has directed us to stand and fight against these inhumane acts as prompted ACA3. People that are currently being forced into labor without fair or just compensation are currently being forced to sew bras for companies like Victoria's Secrets, assemble jeans, fabricate license plates, work in warehouses for private companies, and even fight fires for communities in need, but for wages as little as eight cents per hour. What ACA3 would require is that labor, not related to simple cleanliness or maintenance of the prison and jail facilities, to pay a fair wage, a wage that would make inmates inaccessible to private companies as cheap labor. Today, we stand proudly and boldly on behalf of the citizens of the state of California to say that involuntary servitude, a vestige of slavery, is not acceptable in the state of California in the year 2021. There will be a lot of conversation around prison wages, and I want to be very clear that this is not an issue of wage. This is an issue of humanity. This is an issue of do we want to continue in the year 2021 to live in a state that holds language in its constitution that is directly tied to slavery? My answer to that question is no. Thank you for your time. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, and I want to start by thanking and congratulating State Senator-elect Sidney Kamlager. Um, it was a great week for the state of California uh, to, to have Sidney win that election. And I think today is an example of why um, why State Senator-elect Kamlager is the kind of leader that we need here in California. And this coalition uh, that surrounds us is the kind of movement that we need to celebrate, encourage, and support here in California. Now, 
Involuntary servitude is slavery by another name. And it's interesting because when I read articles about um, this ACA being introduced, what have you, some folks are like, well, you know, this is part of how we operate our prison. Or I'm against involuntary servitude per se, which to me tells you that they really aren't against slavery. We're taught in our history that slavery was abolished over 150 years ago, but we know that's just not the case based upon the fact that we know that there are folks that are currently incarcerated that are being required to do things. And I think the pandemic has exposed this more clearly than ever. Everybody has the right to be free from putting themselves in harm's way. No one should be forced to do anything. And involuntary servitude, as has been mentioned, is not just a, a vestige that connects us with our slavery past, it is our slavery past, manifesting itself in the present day. And we have to make sure that we have a society that respects everyone's humanity and get away from the judgment of anyone being less than anyone else, regardless of what society might label them. And let's not forget, when we talk about the prison industrial complex, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about a system that sustains itself on the bodies of human beings, on the labor of human beings. And so it is past time for us, far past time for us, to say once and for all that slavery and involuntary servitude must be permanently abolished from our society. And once we do that, we can have conversations about what someone's labor is worth, whether they're in an incarcerated state or not. But can we at least have a common agreement that involuntary servitude should be immediately abolished? And that's what we're asking for. That's what this incredible coalition behind me is asking for. That's what our state senator-elect is asking for. And we're not going to stop until we make it happen. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Joseph Gray. I'm the Sacramento director for the Anti-Recidivism Coalition here in Sacramento. We are joined here this morning due to the moral issue of slavery. And we just have to call it what it is. ARC's executive director, Sam Lewis, I think quoted it perfectly when he said this, and I quote, ACA3 is a massive step in California's quest to end systemic racism. The constitution of the state of California should espouse true equality for all people and not perpetuate the lineage of American slavery. You know, for California, a state who prides itself on being a leader for racial equity and equality in the nation, we have done little to remove the fragmented segments of slavery that still exist in our very own state. Instead, we find ourselves needing to follow the lead of states like Nebraska and Utah and Colorado, who I, I would have never imagined to be the leader of racial equity and equality in this nation. 
However, all of those states have already eliminated the language of slavery from the state's constitution. ACA 3 is about disintegrating the remnants of slavery. The remnants are still very present in this state today. Today we are brought here to tell California we will no longer allow slavery to clinch onto California's constitution. That ends now and that ends with us. Thank you. Abolition. Okay, you just heard testimony from California's ACA3 supporters. Uh, We're going to go into some more testimony straight out of Oregon. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, and this is Senator James Manning and his testimony in regards to removing the exception clause from the state constitution of Oregon. We'll be right back. Abolition Today. Uh, what we're going to be doing is uh, because the number of individuals that have signed up for the various bills that we have today, we will be using a timer for three minutes. I believe that was uh, noted to most of the individuals. So uh, what we'll do at this point, I'm going to continue to take testimony from elected officials uh, on uh, these two uh, matters, the met on the memorial and the uh, resolution. Uh, and you'll have three minutes to uh, make your point on either or both. And then uh, at some point or close to 8.30, uh, we will be needing to uh, check in to make certain that we accommodate uh, the guest for the another bill that will be uh, uh, heard later today. So with that, I'm going to start with Senator uh, Manning. I would like for you to go ahead and make any opening statements that you'd like to make our testimony on these two bills. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, uh, Vice Chair, Committee members. Uh, for the record, my name is James Ivory Manning, Jr. I'm the Senator from Senate District 7, which is North and West Eugene, up to and including Junction City, Monroe, and Lancaster. Today, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to follow uh, U.S. Senator Jeff Merkley uh, in support of these two measures, which are uh, SJM2 and SJR10. Uh, Senator Merkley pretty much laid everything out uh, as to the intent of the 13th Amendment and what it and what it has done and the pathway it has laid for people of color and particularly African American. Uh, he had mentioned one fact that really uh, hit home is that because of the color of your skin in some of these states, you can still be walking down the street and get accused of something and either wind up doing life imprisonment or either being dead because of the color of your skin. This is something that I live with every day. I worry about it, I'm concerned about it. My children, I am, to be honest with you, I am concerned each and every time they go outside of the house because they are, just by the color of their skin, they are targets, targets of society, targets of a society that's built on racism, slavery, and oppression. Colleagues, this is, these two bills, these two measures here are really important, and we will find out where the hearts are actually are for our Oregonians when we start voting on this measure. We will find out who is who and where your humanity really lies. 
I'm hoping that we all agree upon. Slavery, no matter what form, is wrong. And there are things that we can do right now to try to correct all of the injustice. It won't erase it. It will not erase it. But children yet to be born can benefit from the actions that we take today. I conclude my comments. Thank you, Mr. Chair, for this opportunity. Abolition. You just heard Senator Manning out in Oregon testifying to remove the exception clause from their state constitution, which allows for slavery and human trafficking. And, you know, it's more than just the states that are making this push. It's also a federal push. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and let the lead director for the federal operations, Bianca Tylek, explain to you what's about to happen in the very near future. And that will be followed by our sister Nina Simone with Revolution Part 1 and 2. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. I'm Max Parthas. This is pre-recorded. Brother Yusuf will be joining us live next week uh, here on the 23rd of May. We are presently having a party at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center as we begin the first strokes for the mural on our wall painted by Thomas Washington. Go ahead and listen to this introduction of our federal amendment, and we'll be right back. Abolition. 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 So I have exciting, um, a really exciting campaign that we're going to be launching soon, and that we're, uh, I'm just so honored to be able to lead this campaign. Uh, I was just um, invited to join the core team of the Abolish Slavery National Network. It's a network that was built in the last year uh, of organizers and folks who have been leading on the fight to uh, end the exception in the 13th Amendment that allows for slavery as punishment for a crime. And <laughs> Stop right there. Let's stop right there and let's rewind. So explain that we have an amendment, uh, we have a section in the 13th Amendment that allows for slavery to be punishment for a crime. That that exists in 2021 is just incomprehensible. It's completely incomprehensible. In fact, I was talking to my dad last night because we did um, a, a show last night and he learned that yesterday and he's got me as a daughter and you know you're so is that going down to the prisons in louisiana and you're working on the chain gang i mean is this what we're talking about i mean we're talking about people picking cotton in 2021 for for, for free and like under force of like under threat of like solitary confinement like we are talking about states building like entire wealth off of incarcerated labor this is like what people don't know about this system this is why you you can't walk into angle you can't walk into these facilities because if you do you'd see this and you know it's why journalists are like essentially just camping out next to prison so that they can see the trucks that are going in and out and so campaign to basically end free labor in prisons right so this campaign um so i joined as i mentioned um asnn as uh, as invited to be the lead organizer for the federal campaign. Uh, what's exciting about this network is that it is comprised of organizers who have won this already now in a few states. So not only is this in the U.S. Constitution, but because of the way in which the U.S. Constitution and laws are ratified from the federal system to the state system, this is also in every state constitution. Okay, And so in the last three years, there's been an incredible swell of work happening 
to change these state constitutions. And three states have won in the last three years. Colorado, Nebraska, and Utah have all eliminated this exception from their, their state constitutions. And what's so exciting about that is that those are two red states and a purple state. Yeah, that's awesome. Those are Republican legislatures. So what people need to know, like, like the listeners should know, is that you know the criminal justice system isn't monolithic. It is a patchwork of lots of grassroots organizations. There's some big organizations, yeah. but there are a ton of faith-based groups, grassroots groups, local exactly. organizing groups that together collaborate, at times collaborate, and sometimes <laughs> compete. Uh, There's some messiness sometimes. To try to push the ball up the hill and over yeah. the hill. And uh, it's awesome to hear that. You're having some success. I think it's an exciting campaign, and I will just say it's the big thing for, you know, in the federal space will be to literally introduce. I mean, I think I would just say every time I've been saying this in the last like week, it feels so audacious. But to say that we're going to introduce the 28th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. I'm going to get a 28th logo here. Of all the evil that will have to end
Sister Bianca Tylek, who is the lead organizer for the Federal Amendment representing the Abolish Slavery National Network, and uh, she is also the president of Worth Rises, a wonderful organization. Shout out to Sister Nina Simone as well, because uh, that's what we're in the middle of right here, it's a revolution. All right, let's go ahead and get some words from Senator Merkley himself, uh, where he spoke on our behalf for the Abolish Slavery National Network in regards to the federal amendment that he is an author of. Uh, We'll listen to that, and then we'll come back and get into some music. You're listening to Abolition Today. Greetings to all the champions of justice and equality with the Abolish Slavery National Network. I'm Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley, and I applaud each and every one of you for coming together to fight to finish the work that was begun so long ago to abolish slavery in America once and for all. Generations of Americans have been taught to believe that slavery in our nation ended with the 13th Amendment. We all know that unfortunately, however, that wasn't the case. 14 critical words in that amendment, the slavery loophole, allowed this horrific institution to endure right up to this very day, 156 years later. Those words are neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. Those 14 words allowed white-led governments in the Southern United States to arrest black Americans for the crime of being black and rent those black Americans back out as slaves. The slavery clause perpetuated slavery and all the damage that went with it subjecting those re-enslaved to the most dangerous and deadly working conditions, subjecting them to the master's whip. The clause continued to rob black Americans of their freedom, to tear black parents away from their children, to destroy the finances of black families, to inflict harm in every horrific manner in a way that has reverberated down through generations. Even today, as I speak, the slavery clause allows prisons to rent out those serving sentences for public and private profit. No clause in our Constitution more embodies systemic racism than this one, and it is far past time that we remove it once and for all and end slavery in America. That is the battle that I'm waging at the federal level. I'm introducing a constitutional amendment to correct this wrong, but it won't be an easy fight, and it will not be quickly over. But we know we have to fight this fight in every place we can, not just the floor of the Senate. Too many state constitutions contain the same language, 21 states in fact, and the people need to know about that. And that's why your efforts to educate people across the country about this ongoing blight is so critical to the efforts I'm leading in Congress. In 2018, you all, successfully amended Colorado's constitution to remove their slavery clause. And you helped accomplish the same last year in Nebraska and in Utah. You are on the front lines of this movement, making a difference for Americans everywhere, helping to shine a bright light on this dark side of our constitution. Keep up the great work because together, I know that we will succeed in finishing the work that we began so long ago abolishing the slavery clause and slavery in America once and for all.
himself, Senator Merkley of Oregon, the author of The Abolitionist Amendment, introducing the 28th Amendment, which will negate the exception clause to slavery from the 13th Amendment as we have it now. All right, let's go ahead and get into some American gods. Uh, I believe this is season four, episode three, the opening clip, and it's going to be followed by Lord Give Me a Sign from DMX. Uh, rest in peace, Brother DMX. I've been dying to play some music for, about you and from you since you passed. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. The founders believed in a creator who endowed every individual with equality and freedom. America was conceived around that truth, and the Declaration was an oath to that creator. A solemn promise that this new government would ensure the divine rights of its citizens, life, liberty, and a shot at happiness. But the new government was overrun with debt. Furious debate roiled the Continental Congress. God-given rights versus materialism. Commerce carried the day and the young country was on its way to becoming the richest corporation in history. In the process, America betrayed its oath to the Creator. Economic growth was spurred by the whip and remained in the hands of the slave masters and their investors. The wealth generated by King Cotton was everywhere. The nation now prayed at the altar of commerce. But the spirit did not abandon those who had been enslaved, who brought their African gods, the Orishas, with them to the New World. Wait in the water Wait in the water Children, wait in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. Yeah, uh, in the name of Jesus. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against me, judgment thou shalt condemn. Lord, give me a sign For this is the heritage of the service of the Lord Preach. And that righteousness is of me, said the Lord Preach. Amen uh. Lord, give me a sign I really need to talk to you, Lord Since the last time we talked, the walk has been hard Now I know you haven't left me, but I feel like I'm alone I'm a big boy now, but I'm still not grown And I'm still going through it like Pain and a hurt, yeah. soaking up trouble like rain and a jerk yeah. And I know only I can stop the rain with just a mention of my Savior's name In the name of Jesus Devil, I rebuke you for what I go through And trying to make me do what I used to But all that stops right here 
now cause you trap of the one hunting Trapped in your own mind waiting on the Lord A hunting with the word that cuts like a sword The spoken word is stronger than the strongest man Carries the whole world like the strongest hand Through the trials and tribulations you never let us down Jesus, I know you're here with us now Jesus, I know you're still with us now Keep it real with us now, I'm on the field, show me how Please let me take your hand, guide me I walk slow but stay right beside me Devil's trying to find me Take that back, protect me and give me the strength to fight Give me a sign Let me know what's on your mind Let me know what I'm gon' find It's all in time Show me how to teach the mind Show me how to reach the blind Lord, give me a sign Show me what I got to do To bring me closer to you Cause I'ma go through whatever you want me to Just let me know what to do Lord, give me a sign I Abolition. 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 Yeah, that was good for the soul. A little bit of DMX and that American God clip nailed it. All right, well, what we're going to do now is I think I want to close this out with some royalty. Uh, a lot has went down in 2021 with the Abolish Slavery National Network, with Abolition Today, and with our efforts to end slavery in our state and federal constitutions here across the country. I think I'm going to finish this off uh, with the Queen Mother of Benin, who is also a member of the United Nations. I want to thank our sponsors, uh, which are Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We Ubuntu, Prison Advocacy Network, uh, Millions for Prisoners Human Rights Network, also Prismatic Dreams, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, which is where we're at right now, having a party. And uh, Sema Urge. Sema Urge is Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice. Uh, you've been listening to Abolition Today and Max Parthas at abolitiontoday.org. Make sure you tune in next week, and we'll be back on the air live with Yusuf Hassan and myself. We've got some amazing broadcast scheduled for the future like June 27th, where our guest will be Dr. Joy James. Um, so make sure you tune in if you really want to know about this system, if you really want to understand it more. Abolition Today is the place to learn everything you can about it. All right, once again, this is the Queen Mother of Benin speaking at our last quarterly meeting for the Abolished Slavery National Network and representing the United Nations. Our next quarterly uh, membership meeting is going to happen May 18th, and that is going to be amazing. Until next week, peace. Think about abolition. Abolition. Today. abolition. Hello, this is Her Majesty Queen Mother Dowiti Desir Huna Huna II Gwele. I'm speaking to you from Lome, Togo.
I observe all protocols as I thank and acknowledge those who invited me to the Abolish Slavery National Network quarterly meeting, especially Max and Kamal, but also fellow speakers, legislators, committed activists, and audience members. As a 4,000-year-old phenomenon, slavery is as old as human existence. Globally, there are around 46 million human beings enslaved. And it's important to recognize that they are enslaved and not simply slaves, which not only contributes to their dehumanization, but also fails to recognize that all human beings are born free. My remarks come uh, from an international perspective, which supports the arguments being made today that view penal servitude as a new incarnation of slavery. The International Labor Office, which I consulted four years ago, has data that notes that within this number, this 46 million, we have 22% of today's enslaved population in the sex industry. Recognizing the number of those enslaved in penal systems is a more complex and messy political determination to make. According to another organization, Free the Slaves, slavery generates $150 billion, $150 billion. In the United States of America alone, it generates at least $74 billion. And that's more than the gross domestic product of most African countries. Again, what percentage makes up um, the the, the penal uh, population globally is uncertain, is uncertain. I share this information as a means of providing context to the ensuing conversation around abolition. Abolitionists are people who favor the the, uh, abolition of any law or practice deemed harmful to society. And I want to note that there are abolitionists working in Benin, in Mali, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, Nigeria, elsewhere on the African continent, as well as in Europe the Caribbean, and of course the United States, with every fiber of their being to put an end to this urge. In the U.S., the 13th Amendment in particular is at the heart of the issue. African descendants in the U.S. make up 4% of the world's population, but 22% of its imprisoned population. Mass incarceration, excessive punishment, and the exploitation and gross consumption of social, political, and economic space of African descendants in particular is the essence of enslavement. Our intersectional approach to fighting racism has been the norm in fighting for victims in the human rights community. And while not always specifically referred to, the incarcerated community, like Cast members need to be aware of the international legal instruments that impact regional, national, and local laws. This information is not always disseminated as it should be, so vigilance is required. And because of the brevity of the time allotted, um, I want to refer largely to the Durban Declaration and Program of Action, which is the outcome document of the 2001 UN World Conference Against Racism, the WCAR, which took place in Durban, South Africa. In the very first section of the Durban Declaration, also known as the DDPA, 
following its introductory passages entitled Sources, Causes, Forms, and Contemporary Manifestations of Racism, Racial Discrimination, Xenophobia, and Related Intolerance, it states in Article 25, we express our profound repudiation of the racism, racial discrimination, xenophobia, and related intolerance that persists in some states in the functioning of the penal systems and in the application of the laws, as well as the actions and attitudes of institutions and individuals responsible for the law enforcement, especially where this has contributed to certain groups being overrepresented among persons under detention or imprisoned. Article 29 expresses the following. We strongly condemn the fact that slavery and slavery-like practices still exist today in parts of the world and urge states to make immediate measures as a matter of priority to end such practices which constitute flagrant violations of human rights. And finally, Article 30, which concludes the section by stating, we affirm the urgent need to prevent combat and eliminate all forms of trafficking in the persons, in particular women and children, and recognize that victims of trafficking are particularly exposed to racism, racial discrimination, xenophobia, and related intolerance. Now, among the challenges that we face are the U.S.'s refusal to adhere to certain international conventions, including the DDPA, and the Convention to the Rights of the Child, which addresses racial discrimination, racism, and xenophobia, again, in other forms of intolerance, human trafficking, and enslavement, particularly as it relates to children. This is all done under the pretext of maintaining national autonomy, when in fact all international laws, conventions, treaties, and resolutions recognize the state's sovereignty in this instance, government refuses to recognize the sovereignty of the individual to maintain their right and their, their dignity and humanity, even if incarcerated. The lack of adherence and the fragmentation of legislation relating to racial discrimination is an enormous challenge. The U.S. ratified and adheres to CERD, uh, or the Convention, of the elimination of all forms of racism, but not the DDPA. And this is an example of the kind of internal inconsistencies that leaves questions about the nature of the law, what it prohibits, its penalties, remedies, what reparations are. Thus, consolidation or creation of a consistent, coherent legal framework is called for in abolishing the laws against contemporary enslavement especially among Afro-descendants, as this phenomena is related to the historic enslavement of Africans. The DDPA declared the enslavement of Africans as a crime against humanity which should have never occurred. And as an international advisor to the Abolished Slavery National Network, it is this most important endeavor that must be pursued. I ask that all of you participating and listening to this event to please familiarize yourself with the international moral mandate known as the Durban Declaration and Program of Action. It is available on the UN website 
at un.org. I thank you for your time and your consideration. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. Today.